Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Good evening and welcome to episode 54 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and with me as always is Lou Schwalbach. Hello! We're just about to another holiday. Everything is seemingly adorned in pink and red, rose petals and cupids are all over the place, as well as heart-shaped boxes of all sizes filled with confectionery delights. And the jewelry stores are pushing their inventory hard. It's the season of love. Wait, wait, wait. We're not talking about the Rent song either. Thank God. The actual season of love. Valentine's Day. Alrighty, alrighty. This week we'll be talking about songs that are dealing with love and likely some form of romance. The songs themselves don't have to say love in the title. However, many of them likely will. And there may even be a possibility that you, gentle listener, may hear your song. You mean the Elton John Song? Your song? Probably not. I'm thinking, like, every, most couples have a song. Right, right. And I know. And it's the one that you and your significant other met or slow danced to. The one that brings a good set of the feels. So, throw a fresh log on the fire, get out your chocolate-covered strawberries, and sprawl out on your white bearskin rug while we get this show started. It was awfully specific. Well, yeah. <laughs> Even though, you know, I... Sometimes when I'm fantasizing about these kind of things, I like to switch out the white bear rug for, like, a, like, tiger skin rug. Just because they look cool as hell. Okay, so just just kill a different animal to lay on its skin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that how this works? How about a giraffe skin rug? I suppose I could lay my dick out on the neck. What, those little knobs on its head? <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> I, I see what you did there. All right, so how are you doing, sir? Pretty good, pretty good. It's been a while, and I think we uh, it's been a long overdue while. And what are your thoughts on Valentine's Day? You know, Valentine's Day, I really enjoy it, which is funny because my wife's not big into Valentine's Day. Never has been. So I was absolutely shocked when this year she said, we should do something for Valentine's Day. I was like, yes! <laughs> because I am that classic romantic. Okay. And she is not. You know, and that's usually it's the other way around. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, I should say. Correct. But I mean, you know, where the woman does the love poetry, loves does the letters, and then the guy will be kind of like, oh, okay, that's cool, whatever. Hey, am I getting late after the movie? Kind of, exactly. You know. But, no, it's nice to see that it swaps up every now and then. Yeah, how about you? What, what do you and the wife do for Valentine's Day? Anything? Um... We try not to go out to dinner because I don't... Everybody feel, goes out to dinner? Exactly. And I don't feel like waiting in line for two hours to get into Olive Garden, for example. Right. And being as how... I mean, even in like Des Moines or when we lived out in Washington area, I mean, the waits are still there even though there's more restaurants, there's more people. Right. I... Let's see. What is Valentine's Day on this year? It's, it's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. Which actually works out for Nikki and I because she has class Wednesday nights. Oh, hell. You can so just we're not, right we're not going out till Saturday night. Oh, there you go. 
So well, I'm, I'm guessing that she works, uh, she teaches on Wednesdays. And so, and then I think we're probably going to still be on mandatory overtime. So I'll probably be at work. So we'll probably end up doing something later in the week. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of our plan. So. Because we can go afterwards. It won't be busy. And then on the way home, we can stop at Walgreens and all this candy is half or more off. Right. That's true. So, you know, and I'm not cheap. I'm just thrifty. <laughs> Or cheap. We, you know, it's just... A, it's, it depends on the situation, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. So, it, it's actually kind of funny. Um, it's cold as piss this week. Oh, my God. And it went from being, like, what, 30... 40? It was 40? 44 one day last week. And then two days later, we're, I think, our high... I woke up this morning, it was, like, 9 below with a windshield. Yeah, the like high today was below. supposed to be 3. Yeah. I saw 4 on my car, but that's always off by a degree or two, so... Ooh, heat wave! Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah. it's supposed to start warming up again, but God, today was cold. It was kind of brutal, actually. Yeah. You know, without the wind, it wouldn't have been bad. You know, that's but, that's honestly how it is usually, though. Yes, true. But, I mean, it's like, you know, when I get when I left this morning to go to work, it was two below zero. That's not a big deal. Oh, fuck, I go outside and, like, barefoot to take the garbage out and two below zero. Right. But if the wind when, is going... When there was 25 below with wind chill this morning, that's what gets you. Yeah. All right, so what do you think? Uh, should we just get into Liquored Up? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And this week, I think you purchased, didn't you? I did. Um, and now, if you remember back when we did, I believe it was the Weird Al episode. Yeah, because Scott we, was there. Yeah, we had a cider by Ace of California. And we did a uh, pineapple cider, I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was sweet and it was tasty. Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. Um, so did Scott because he took the rest of the six-pack home. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> but um, so this time I was thinking about, you know, because we're doing a song about love or uh, we're doing an episode about love songs. And I thought, what would be something that the girls would like? And, you know, and I looked at like the, the Bartles and James and all that kind of, you know, crappy bull stuff. And then I'm like. But for the record, girly drinks are somewhat tasty. They, they can be. They can be some of the most delicious drinks out there. And screw but, you if you give me a hard time for it. I'm still going to drink because I'm still well, going to get loaded. Yeah, exactly. But, so I thought, you know, what's something that's kind of in between? It's not really a beer, but it's not really like a wine cooler either. So I went back to the Ace, and I found that they have a pear cider. Okay. So that's what we're going to try today. It's called Perry Craft Cider. It's 5% by uh, alcohol by volume. It's a 12-ounce bottle. It's gluten-free, certified gluten-free, if that means anything. Um, and actually we're going to see Scott this weekend, so I'm going to take the rest of the six pack down there. Oh yeah, that'd probably so, work out. You know, um, so should we just, uh, go ahead and give this a shot? Yeah, sure. Oh, son of a bitch, that is sweet. Holy shit. Wow. That's like liquid Smarties. Yeah, pretty close. That, wow. It's not bad. I'm not going to say it's bad at all. I was just not expecting it. Now, as a rule, I'm not a pear fan. I don't eat pears. Because they're of uh, the texture. I don't like the consistency. Yeah, it, the, the flavor's okay most of the time, but there is no flavor. Pears are one that, like, pear juice, like, you. I disagree. You put pear juice in with anything else to enhance the other thing, not the pears. I, I disagree. Pears have a definite flavor to them. Maybe not so much the green pears, but, like, you get into your Bosque pears and the, and the different styles, the red pears and stuff like that. They do have a, a distinctive flavor. This, however, shows one of the green pears on the front. And. I don't know. I don't dislike it. I liked the pineapple better. Yes, absolutely. Oh, oh wow, that's I'm still my teeth are curled. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't think it's quite that bad, Ooh. but it is. Uh, it is definitely not not something I'm going to run out and get a second time. 
right, so what do you say? I'm gonna go with a bar. That'd be about where I'm going yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, it's, not bad. No, I would drink again. I would drink it again. It's probably really refreshing on a hot day. Yeah. But being as how it's a, co- a nut freezingly <laughs> cold day. You know, this is something I'll have my wife try one of these. She'll probably love it because it tastes like liquid Smarties. Yeah, probably. All right. It's that time of the week I dread. Why is that? Because it's time for trivia. I wouldn't be too dreading about it because you've actually got a decent record. I, I have an okay record. Do and you? I still want to put up a... I, I got that second question right last week on the comedy uh-huh. episode, which was harder than the first one you gave me. And you didn't give me credit for the second one. Because you told me at the beginning that we weren't going to do both of them. You said, let's just do one. I, I know, said, but you did it anyway. It. But you did it anyway. You asked me to. No, no. You just said you were going to do it because I didn't do the song. Yeah. You're 13 and 10, though. Yeah, you got I know. both right. And so we're going to go. This one hopefully should be pretty easy for you. According to a Billboard.com, according to Billboard.com, in a 3-2 of uh, 2016 article, what song is listed as the number one top love song of all time? And what year was this, 2016? The article was published online on Billboard.com okay. March, March 2nd of 2016. What did they determine to be the number one top love song of all time? Wow, I'm going to have to think about that. I, Man, there's a few that run through my head right away, but I don't know. And we'll see if one of those runners is the winner <laughs> or if it's the sausage that got dropped from the Brewers games. Do you see that? No. Yeah, the, uh, what is it, Clements, I think? Yeah. I think they lost the, it's no longer going to be Clements Sausage sponsoring or something like that. Really? Yeah, a lot of things are breaking up, just like wow. PayPal is no longer going to be for eBay. I did not hear that either. By, I think it's 2023 or something like that, they're going to be using some Netherlands service or whatever, but PayPal is no longer going to be the eBay thing. I read that on the news today. Interesting. Interesting. So, totally non-love related. Apparently, they're breaking up, but that's uh, next week. That's Yeah, that's next week's episode. <laughs> so, why don't you kick us off and uh, let's get started on love songs. All right. So, we're going to go ahead and start off with a song by the name of Just the Way You Are by Bruno Mars. Peter Jean Hernandez is better known by his stage name of Bruno Mars. And music was pretty much his blood from the beginning. His folks met while performing at a show. Mom was a hula dancer and dad was playing percussion. Does, that sounds like a song by itself right there. Yeah, kind of. And he got the nickname from his dad because he re- he resembled Bruno Sammartino oh. as a kid. I figured you'd appreciate that little tidbit. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a little wrestling connection mm-hmm. there. So, Mom was not only a hula dancer, but she also sang and Dad performed Little Richard music, and Bruno's uncle was an Elvis impersonator who encouraged little Bruno to perform on stage at the age of three. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of, there's, if you go into anything but music, you know, it, it just like, he was kind of set up as, as to start, you know? I mean, can you imagine if he went to like, Mom, Dad, I don't want to sing anymore, I want to be a lawyer. Yeah. I mean, shit would go down. <laughs> Quite serious. possibly, yeah. So... He moved to L.A. to pursue music and got signed to Motown Records in 2004 and did dick. He did nothing. It wasn't working, so he focused on writing and producing until finally breaking out as a solo artist on his debut album, 2010's Doo-Ops and Hooligans, which has gone five platinum and spawned six singles, including this one, two of which hit number one. Since then, he's remained busy releasing two more studio albums and performing at the Super Bowl multiple times, and we have Just The Way You Are. Now... Why don't we, before we talk about the song, we'll just take a quick listen to it. How about that?
I was going to say, how about that? But no, no, it's, that little broad needs to be hit. Catch me outside. Oh God. Just run her over with a bus. So <laughs> just the way you are, like another song that we may be talking about later, Mars states that his girl is perfect as she is. Now the other version that we may, we we're going to be talking about, I'm not a spoiler because guess what? We are Billy Joel's version of the song. A different words, not a cover, just a different one. She, he basically talks about how she shouldn't change, and even if she's not perfect, it's fine. Whereas Bruno Mars is a little bit more complimentary. You know, like, you're perfect, you're amazing, you're excellent. You know, so it's, they're both love songs, but one's a little bit more of a kind of kissing the other one's ass versus, no, don't worry about it, you've got imperfections, and that's okay. Right, versus reality. Pretty much, yeah. You know, so, I mean, I get it. The song apparently was co-written by CeeLo Green, and he was supposed to be the performer. Green himself felt it was better suited for Bruno Mars rather than his own style, according to Billboard magazine. Interesting. And if you know of uh, CeeLo Green's other primary hit song, yeah, you can see why the love song really wouldn't work out too well. Oh, I think CeeLo could pull off a love song. He probably could, but at the same time, if he did it now after he got famous for Forget You, <laughs> it'd be like a complete 180. It would be, but I mean, think of the stuff that he did with uh, Bar, Char, Bar, Narles Barkley. Narles Barkley. Well, that and with uh, what, like the Goody Band or Googie Band or whatever that goofy rap one was oh, when yeah, he first yeah. started. The Goody Mob, I think it was. Yeah, I think you're right. So it could be. Now, it's a good song. It just praises your gal, and I think it would work on any mixtape. Now, for any of those who are too young to know or may not know what a mixtape is... <laughs> Really? We have to start putting this out there? Yeah, might as well. A mixtape is a term derived from a relic of old when a guy or girl would make a tape, a cassette tape, of songs for the object of their affection. It evolved into CDs, and now I guess what would it be? A playlist? I guess. So, do I, I don't know. If you're out there, do do boys and girls now swap playlists? Uh, well, they did that, what, Nick and Nora movie with John uh, Michael Sarah? Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist or some bullshit like that. I didn't watch okay. it. But... I don't know about you, but I made mixed CDs for my wife. Oh, yeah. CDs, tapes. Yeah. Well, we when I got together with mine, we were kind of past the tape stage, so it was CDs. Well, I, I made mixed tapes for my wife in high school and college. Okay. So All right. So. We, we've been together a little bit longer than you guys. Truth. Truth. So, yeah, but I mean, I, I think every guy probably did that at some point back oh, yeah. then. Absolutely. And I see nothing wrong with it. No, I don't either. I mean, especially if you go through the, what's the word I'm looking for? If you go through the effort to actually pick out songs that are meaningful for you and or your relationship to the significant other, I mean, that's more than anything else. You know, I mean, that just shows you're paying attention. It shows your commitment to it, you know? Right. Because any asshole can just pick out random songs, unless, but if they don't have meaning. Right. No, so, absolutely. No, I like this song. I think it's a really good love song. Yeah, I have to agree. It's a classic love song. And, and like you said, telling the girl how great she is from her eyes to her hair and how beautiful overall she is. Bruno Mars is the king of panty droppers. And this song is no different. I mean, Modern panty droppers. Yes, exactly. I mean, her smile makes the whole world stop. Her kisses and her laugh are just so sexy. I also really like this song. And I actually wrote here, it should be on any love mix. So we were we were kind of the same thing. We were on the same street and the same house for once. Yeah, for once. Yep. All right. So what are you, are you going to follow up with, Billy Joel? I wasn't going to. Um, I actually had my Billy Joel for the end, but I will follow up with Billy Joel. So, so what's, the, what's the song? <laughs> what's the title of this song? It's called "Just the Way You Are" by Billy Joel. 
It's a song from a guy to a girl about how she is perfect. Don't go changing to try and please me. That's the crux of the whole song. I will take you just the way you are. Just the way he talks to the girl and tells her that she is just what he wants, even if it doesn't always feel that way. Know out there that I love you all just the way you are. Times of trouble, we never could have come this far. Mm -hmm. I took the good times, I'll take the bad times, I take you just the way you are. So, Just the Way You Are is a song by Billy Joel. It is the third track from his album, The Stranger. By far, in my opinion, one of his best albums from 1977. Okay. It became both Joel's first U.S. Top 10 and U.K. Top 20 single, reaching 3 and 19 respectively, as well as Joel's first gold single in the U.S. The song also topped the Billboard Easy Listening chart for the entire month of January 1978. Just the Way You Are garnered two Grammy Awards for Record of the Year and Song of the Year in 1979. Joel shared that... The melody and chord progression for this song came to him while he was dreaming. He actually talks about that a lot. Um, he actually has a whole album that was called Something About Dreaming. And supposedly every song on there came to him in a dream. Hey, wherever you get your inspiration from. Exactly. In an interview on the Howard Stern Radio Show on November 16, 2010... Joel revealed that the inspiration for writing the name of the song and how it sounds in the chorus was directly taken from the last line in the Frankie Valley and Four Seasons song, Ragdoll, which incidentally was also a larger inspiration for Joel's later song, Uptown Girl. The song, which Joel had written for his first wife and also his business manager at the time, Elizabeth Weber, was not liked by either Joel or his band, and Joel had originally decided against making the track part of The Stranger. But at the request of both Linda Ronstadt and Phoebe Snow, both who were recording in the studio at the same time and the same building, he agreed to put the song on the final mix. However, the album's producer, Phil Ramone, later contradicted Joel's claim, stating in an interview that they could not afford to exclude the song because Joel did not have that much material to choose from for the album. <laughs> after Joel and Weber split in 1982, Joel rarely performed the song live after 1986 until the 2000s. And Joel has publicly stated that he disliked playing the song live in the weeks or in the wake of his divorce from his first wife. He noted that during the performance of the song around the time of his first divorce, his drummer, Liberty DeVito, would jokingly parody the lyrics in the chorus as, She got the house, she got the car. Nice. So, what are your thoughts on the song? Billy Joel has a talent for writing ballads as well as pop and rock songs. I mean, no one can deny that. This is a good slow mover. It just has love written all over it. It's a good love song that says, don't change, because I like you how you are. You know, you may not be perfect, but... And I, it's a reality of every relationship. It is, because... I mean, as awesome as I am, I'm not perfect. Well, and, and the thing is, too, is any person who goes into a relationship expecting to change the other person, that's just not right. That's the death knell. Well, it, it really is. is. You know, so going into this saying, you're perfect, I don't want you to change... That's just the truth of the, the strength of the relationship right there. Right. So, good song. Yeah, I agree. So, what do you got up next, man? All right. Next, we're going to go with Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton, Eric Patrick Clapton. Not too much of a, what is that, a Irish name would that be? Mm, 
I don't know. He's English, so it could be. Yeah, it could be. Well, they're neighbors, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. Also known as the nickname Slowhand, is an English blues and rock guitarist and singer-songwriter and has been referred to as one of the most influential and important guitarists of all time. He got his first guitar, an acoustic acoustic Hoyer, uh, German guitar, I guess, when he turned 13, but it was hard to play, so he gave up. Fair enough. Okay. A couple years later, he picked it back up and practiced all the time, recording himself playing um, blues chords until he got them perfect. And then he played with a few minor bands before getting into his first big-name band when he joined the Yardbirds in 1963. He played with them until he left in 65, citing frustration with the commercial approach versus the blues-inspired tracks that he wanted. You know, hey, if you don't like it, there's the door. Yeah, exactly. He joined with uh, John Mayall and the Blues Speakers on and off until 1966 and was invited to join the supergroup Cream, and where he played with them until they broke up in 1968. He went through a couple other groups, Blind Faith, uh, Delaney, and Bonnie and Friends, before making the jump to his solo career. His own band started off as Eric Clapton and Friends, but went to the provisional Dell and the Dynamos, which was mis- which was misread to be Derek and the Dominoes. Really? Yeah, so apparently because someone doesn't know how to read, they we got Derek and the Dominoes, which was actually pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It obviously stuck until he disbanded with the band in 1971 and went truly solo as Eric Clapton and was nearly nothing but gold and platinum ever since. Uh, he's been collaborating and recording the whole time, his most recent studio album being 2016's I Still Do. He's released 23 studio albums and 22 with various bands throughout his active streak and has multiple Grammy wins to his name, his biggest year being 1993, where he won six Grammy Awards, Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Male Pop Vocal Performance for Tears of Heaven, Album of the Year, and Best Rock Vocal Performance for Unplugged, and then Best Rock Song for Layla. Personally, I hate the Unplugged version of Layla. Drives me nuts. I like the rock version. I prefer the rock version. I actually enjoy both of them, but I do prefer the rock version over the unplugged version. It's kind of like listening to the Eagles unplugged. I like the Eagles plugged in. I just don't like the Eagles for the most part. Yeah, fair enough. So, why don't we go ahead and see if you are truly wonderful tonight. And then she asked me. You said you were awesome, so... I am always wonderful, (laughs) and especially at night. So, the song Wonderful Tonight is another tribute song to Patty Boyd. The song goes that she was upstairs fiddling with her her hair and clothes. No way. What? And such, and while he... Getting ready for a Buddy Holly tribute, Clapton was downstairs playing around his guitar. Patty Boyd recalled that when she went downstairs, she was expecting to basically get berated and bitched at for it. And instead, he said, hey, come here, listen to this, and he played her the song. Nice. The whole thing was written in the time that she was upstairs, which either means she took for fucking ever. Yes. Or that he's a good and fast songwriter. Yes. I'll be honest, I think it's a little bit more of the former versus the latter. probably a mixture of both. But it is a love ballad in its purest, and it's written and performed by one of the masters of the art. There's really not a whole lot to say about it. It's just a great song. This one could be considered a panty dropper, as you say. (laughs) So I absolutely love Eric Clapton. Whether it's with Cream or his solo work, 
And he forms this song as him and his girl, I guess Patty Boyd, going out. From getting ready to arriving to going home. The room stops when they walk in. Not because of him, but because of her beauty. And he loves her because she doesn't even think twice about taking care of him when he's drunk and unable to drive. Which, if you know anything about Eric Clapton, has happened once or twice. Yeah, probably. He tells her how wonderful she is. I do like the song. It's a strong Clapton issue, and I can't say anything bad about it. Another good mixtape caliber song. Absolutely. I think I've actually used that song in a mixtape. I'm... I made so many mixtapes back in the and day. And she doesn't have them anymore? I, she probably does somewhere, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, but we have nothing to play uh, tape on. Really? I don't think so. That's surprising. Not even like a boombox or anything like that? Um, I might have one in the garage. No, well, that's... I, actually... I think I do, actually. I think it's got a tape deck, a CD player on it, and a radio. Oh, and like a three-band equalizer or some shit? No, there's no equal. It was cheap <laughs> as dirt, man. <laughs> so what do you got next? So up next was the one I was going to kick the show off with, and that is Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And, I, and I'm going to read this the way I wrote it because you screwed me up and you, you like kind of you kind of like forced me into sex. I mean, into playing the other song just the way you are. So, you know. Uh, so I said I was going to start the podcast the way I used to start every night singing karaoke with Queen's Crazy Little Thing Called Love. The song by arguably one of the greatest arena rock bands to ever come out of England, Queen is one of my favorites. As I've said, I have used this as my intro song for karaoke for many years. It's also been pretty good. It's also had a pretty good life in movies. Breaking the Rules, 1992. Son-in-Law, 1993. Uh, Mr. Wrong in 1996. Failure to Launch and The Breakup in 2006. And Crazy Stupid Love in 2011. Let's see if you can handle the crazy little thing called love. So got to ask, how many of those movies that you've mentioned have you seen? Um, I have seen Son-in-Law. Okay. <laughs> the Breakup, I believe that was the Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston one? I think so, and I have not seen that. I may have seen Failure to Launch. I'm not... You just watched it for Terry Bradshaw's butt. <laughs> Failure to Launch? Yeah. I think I would remember that. I probably haven't seen it. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I've seen The Breakup, and that was one of those where, kind of like, um, so, um, what the hell's the Ben Stiller one? Um, Meet the Parents. Okay. Where, like, the first half of the movie's okay, and then the last half of the movie, everything goes wrong, and that's where the funny stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what the breakup was. The first part of it was like all okay, and then the second half was just depressing and boring as shit. So, fair enough. Netflix so, it and fast forward it. Okay. So, written by Freddie Mercury in 1979, the track is featured on their 1980 album The Game, and also appears on the band's compilation album Greatest Hits in 1981. The song became the group's first number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. in 1980, remaining there for four consecutive weeks. Having composed Crazy Little Thing Called Love on guitar, Mercury played rhythm guitar while performing the song live, which was the first time he played guitar in concert with Queen. Queen played the song live between 1979 and 1986, and a live performance of the song is recorded in the albums Queen's Rock Montreal, Queen on Fire, Live at the Bowl, which I'm assuming would be the Hollywood Bowl. Assumingly. Live at Wembley, the 86, and Hungarian Rhapsody, Queen Live in Budapest. Since its release, the song has been covered by a number of artists. 
The song was played live on 20 April 1992 during the Freddie Mercury tribute concert performed by Robert Plant with Queen. So, this is just one of those songs. I've always really enjoyed it. Did you, by chance, when you were listening to this, watch the video? I don't think so, because I actually already own this song, so I didn't have to watch the video. Okay, the video is hilarious. If you ever want to see really cheesy 80s video, it's like Freddie Mercury in black leather pants with these stark white knee pads on. Oh, God. White t-shirt and, like, a biker cap. It is hilarious. And I'm sure at the time it was, like, the, the height of, you know, British look or whatever. Yeah, possibly. But it's just hilarious. I'm sorry. I just Whenever I think of Queen in videos, my first thought always snaps to the I Want to Break Free video when he's in drag. Yep. <laughs> but he doesn't shave the mustache. Him and, him and uh, Cesar uh, Romero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, it's one of these songs. I love this song. It's it's a nice little thing. It's it's not really a love song. It's more of a lust song. Because yeah. cause he's kind of like, you know... I'm never gonna. I, I never thought I'd be in love, but then here you are, kind of thing. But to me, it plays more as a lust song than a love song. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? No, I've always really liked Queen. This is one of my favorites that isn't really one of their rock songs because Queen's really known for their arena rock. Yeah, absolutely. This is more of a like a Stray Cats like swing style song, and it just works. I mean, he's got a perfect voice for it. I didn't know that he actually played on it because anytime you ever see Freddie Mercury, he's either in front of a piano. Or he's just singing and, right. and prancing. Right. There's and, Prancing? Yes, prancing. Yeah, he's been known to prance. <laughs> um, or parading on stage. How about that? Whatever. No, I think you're good with prancing. Very. No, it's a, it's a good song. I enjoy it. I'm not sure if it would fit on a mixtape for me, um, but it's still an entertaining song. Yeah, I don't know if I would, this would go on a on like a mixtape for my wife, because I, I, I don't know. I just don't think it would fit, but... No, and I think that's a... Why don't we do that for the rest of these? We'll just determine if we yes or no for a mixtape. Okay, so I'm going to say no. I wouldn't think so either. Okay. All right, so what do you got next, man? Next, I'm going to go with one that I know that you weren't a fan of the first time, so let's see if your opinion has changed. And that was Come What May by Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman from the Baz Luhrmann film Moulin Rouge. Now, Moulin Rouge was... I'm just going to talk about the movie because we know what the actors have done. I mean, it's... It's, she was awesome in Days of Thunder, and he was Obi-Wan friggin' Kenobi. Right, right. So, bottom line. The, the Moulin Rouge is a musical dramedy released in 2001. The film was directed and co-written by Baz Luhrmann. It, what? Dramedy? Yeah, drama comedy. That's a thing. Absolutely. Okay. You can ask anybody. Okay. <laughs> All so right. anybody, if you're listening, um, is dramedy a thing? How about if you ask your daughter once we're done with this, and she'll tell you. I'll ask her, but you may be sorely disappointed. All right. Anyways, it has a pretty stellar cast. It had John Leguizamo, Kylie Minogue, Nicole Kidman, and Ewan McGregor. The movie even had Ozzy do some voice work, which when I read that, I'm like, hells yeah. The, the, story, the movie tells the story of a romantic writer who falls in love with a courtesan and their forbidden relationship. The movie was generally positively reviewed and holds a 76% fresh rating on RottenTomatoes.com, as well as being nominated for eight Academy Awards. And let's see here. And one of the last two of them, which were Best Art Design and Best Costume Design. You know, I actually, I will put this out there. I do enjoy the movie. I have watched the movie. I enjoy it. But not this song. But go on. I think it's got a pretty strong soundtrack, actually. Generally speaking, Overall, this yes. song, yes. Now... This song is a repeat for me, um, because I did it way back on episode 7 when we were talking about duets. Whoop, whoop. 
Yeah. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> so I don't know what that was about. That but... was a repeat. That was the repeat oh, warning. The repeat warning. Okay. All right. Yeah. So for those of you who want to hear about the first time and see how much I changed, go ahead and go back to listen to episode seven a year ago, I guess, or something. Yeah, something like that. Close to, anyway. Right. So, and this is, it's known as the romantic theme. It has Nicole Kidman's courtesan Satine singing to and with Ewan McGregor's character writer Christian about their true love for each other. Let's go ahead and see what may come. Is your giggling fest over on? I didn't know how to lead into that one, so. Because just the way you said it, you're like, what may come? And it was the look, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was in my head. I just saw Obi-Wan going like, oh! And now I am disturbed for the rest of the night. Thank you. <laughs> now, I fell in love with this song when I first saw the movie, but was really a little apprehensive. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that all actors do their own singing. Because many actors who try to sing fail miserably because they or the directors know their limitations. They have lip syncers, such as like when Marty McFly sung Johnny Be Good. I'm sure we all thought it was Michael J. Fox until it's like, no. But in any respect, here I waited for you to say something. You just I know. I was, I was going to say that I guess maybe when I first saw the movie I thought it might have been him. But Well, yeah, that's what I meant. Like back in the 80s when we first watched it, I'm like, holy shit, he can sing. And then yeah. you, you get a little older it's like, oh. You can tell he's lip syncing. Oh, yeah. Now, not saying that he can't, but whoever they chose did a good job. Yeah. Now, I could go on a huge tangent about that because we all know celebrities that can't sing for shit, but maybe that'll be a different episode. I digress. I was thrilled to learn that both of the actors did their own singing, and I personally think they sound well together. They play off each other rather well. They harmonize well. And it's just a good love song, I think. You know, no matter what happens, we're going to stick together to the end. And between their chemistry on there and on the track, I think it just works. This is a mixtape song for me. Okay. So, from the movie slash stage show, Moulin Rouge, this version sung by Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman is... Okay. Definitely a love song, but nothing that makes me weak in the knees. Ewan McGregor has a better voice than I would have given him credit for. And Nicole Kidman has a decent voice as well. This is just not one of those songs that really get me in the heartstrings, you know? Solid song, just really not my thing. Right. Not not mixtape for me. All right. But. Okay. Well, hey, you know. But you like got... I said, I really enjoy the movie, and most of the soundtrack is amazing. So don't let my bad opinion of this one song keep you away from that soundtrack or from the movie, because. It's absolutely worth it. In fact, they even did two. I think they did a volume one and two of the soundtrack. Maybe. That had songs that, of course, they didn't release on the first one, so they had to just get more money and put the second one out. Right. I mean, hell, they did that with Wedding Singer, did the same thing, too. They yep. left certain songs off. They put a second one on, like, fuckers. And you're like, here's my money. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, exactly. So what do you got for your next one? All right, so up next, I'm going way back, man, to Baby Love by the Supremes. Now, this is a song about a girl who's infatuated with a boy. In ways, this could be considered both a love song, for her love for him, and a song of longing. She is trying to convince him to stay. Either way, it is very, it's a very 1960s girl group type song. I really enjoyed the song. Will you 
Be my baby love. Will you? Will you? No. Beginning with Baby Love, The Supremes became the first Motown act to have more than one American number one single, and by the end of the decade would have more number one singles than any other Motown act or American pop music group, with 12, a record they continue to hold. It was nominated for the 1965 Grammy Award for Best Rhythm and Blues Recording, losing to Nancy Wilson's How Glad I Am. It is considered one of the most popular songs of the late 20th century. Baby Love was ranked number 324 on the Rolling Stones list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. The most successful American performers of the 1960s, the Supremes for a time rivaled even the Beatles in terms of red-hot commercial appeal, reeling off five number one singles in a row at one point. Critical revisionism has tended to undervalue the Supremes' accomplishments categorizing their work as more lightweight than the best soul stars, or even the best Motown stars, and viewing them as a tool for Barry Gordy's crossover aspirations. There is no question that there was about as much pop as soul in the Supremes' hits, that even some of their biggest hits could sound formulaic, and they were probably the black performers who were most successful at infiltrating the taste and television of middle America. This shouldn't diminish either, their extraordinary achievements, or their fine music, the best of which renders the pop versus soul question moot with, with its excellence. So the rotating members included Florence Ballard, 1959-1967, Diana Ross from 1959-1970, Mary Wilson, 1959-1977, the only member to last the entire run of the group, Cindy Birdsong, 1967-1972, and then 1973-1976, and many others who didn't have legs in the group. I really like this song. They hired paraplegics? <laughs> no. Smart ass. <laughs> Meaning they just they, they would only be there for a year or something like that. So Yeah. No no real tenure. Right, no tenure. So I mean everybody knows about Diana Ross and the Supremes. Oh yeah. But that only lasted for about half the life of the Supremes. You know, and uh, and though she is a powerhouse and she went on to do great things on her own, you can't diminish the... Great things. Terrible things, but great things. <laughs> and we've slipped into Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I really like this song and I suppose it could almost be considered a breakup song, but I find it more of a love song. This would definitely be a mixtape for me. Thoughts? Now, this is a standard 60s Motown love groove. I mean, it's it's solid. It fits in that group era, and there's nothing really else on that one there. It does show up in a lot of military movies, like if there's a love interest. Yeah. Like I think, um, or if that's a time period thing, like I think like Good Morning Vietnam maybe might have had that in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I think you're right. Because, you know, time period and whatever. It's a good song. I'm not sure if I could listen to it a lot, though. It's because just the style is not really my thing. I'm... I wouldn't put it on a mixtape. That okay. it wouldn't be on there for me. All right, fair enough. What do you got next? Next, I have Amazed by Lone Star. Now, Lone Star formed in 1992, going by the name of Texas C. Okay, hold on. I have to do this. Lone Star. <laughs> Nobody gives me the raspberry. <laughs> so, 
The band went by the name of Texas C because all members at the time were Texas natives but met in Tennessee and were originally comprised of Richie McDonald, Michael Britt, Randy Keach Rainwater, Dean Sands, and John Rich. Yes. As in Big and Rich? As in Big and Rich. Okay. They were first noticed at a concert in Nashville and signed to a contract in 1995. They released their first album, their self-titled debut. Self-titled. Go figure. Yeah, imagine that. Uh, Lone Star in October 95, where it peaked at number 11 on the U.S. country charts and has since gone gold. Late in 98, John Rich left to focus on songwriting for himself and other artists, ending up with and writing for Big Kenny, so there's Big and Rich. They modified their sound a few times, but most major ones being when they went through their acoustic phase and came back to country pop that made them famous. A few albums and some band member shakeups later, and Lone Star is still performing and touring. Their most recent album, Never Enders, was released in 2016, where it peaked at number 48 on the U.S. country charts. Since inception, they've released 10 studio albums, half of which have gone gold or better, finding 37 singles, nine of which have gone number one. Amazed was co-written by songwriters Marv Vreen, Amy Mayo, and Chris Lindsay, and it was Lone Star's biggest hit that also lasted the longest at number one on the Billboard country chart for eight weeks. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive, actually. Especially for that. for that sort of a love song. Right, right. And let's go ahead and let's get amazed. I want to spend the rest of my life with you by my side. I'm amazed! But not by you. Maybe next time. All right. (laughs) Now, the song is the definition of a country... So you're saying there's still a chance. (laughs) What's all that one in a million stuff? (laughs) Now, this is really a definition of a country love song. The the singer talks about how much he cares for his significant other and everything about her, remarking how he's so in love with her and it just keeps getting better every day. It is a perfect slow dance song that has all the feels you could possibly ever want. I mean, it re- I mean, if this song doesn't touch you and make you think about the one you love, then you, my friend, are a cold-hearted son of a bitch, and you have my pity. So what do you think? I don't know. You just called me a cold-hearted son of a bitch. No, I absolutely love this song. This is one that does grab me by the heartstrings and plays a love song upon them. The vocals are extremely strong, just a song professing love to the one you want to spend the rest of your life with. I feel every day this way about my wife. My special girl. Oh, and yes, for me, yes, mixtape. Yes, and this should be on every love tape mix. It says it right there. (laughs) If you don't use this, you're doing it wrong. Which kind of goes along with my ending comment. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, is he calling me a cold-hearted bastard? Because this we already know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we all know that we both appreciate that song. What's your next one? My next one is Kiss from a Rose by Seal. So this song is a panty dropper, if I'm being honest. I mean, I listened to it and had to take my underwear off. It just, it's the way it is. Because you were getting ready to take a shower at the time. Well, yeah, that's beside the point. It's a song about love that brings light into the singer's life. Wait, hold on a second. You wear panties? Sometimes. Okay, well, they're comfortable. I mean, whatever, but... (laughs) Don't you? Uh, no, not entirely. It's either all or nothing, so... Oh, okay, I, I see. So your standard love song trope. Kiss from a Rose was written in 1987 several years prior to the release of Seal's debut album from 1991. After writing the song, Seal felt embarrassed by it and threw the tape in the corner. 
Seal did not present it to producer Trevor Horn until the recording sessions for Seal 2. In 2015, Seal said of the song, To be honest, I was never really that proud of it. Though I like what Trevor did with the recording. He turned that tape from my corner into another 8 million record sales, and my name became a household name. I was say, he certainly may not have liked it, but he certainly cashed the checks on it. Right. Let's see what a kiss from a rose sounds like. So Henry Osugun Adelioa Samuel, known professionally as Seal, thank you, is an English singer and songwriter. He has sold more than 20 million records worldwide and is known for his international hits, including Kiss from a Rose, which appeared on the soundtrack to the 1995 film Batman Forever. He was a coach on The Voice Australia in 2012 and 2013 and returned to Australia to work as a coach in 2017. Seal has won multiple awards throughout his career, including three Brit Awards. He won Best British Male in 1992, as well as four Grammy Awards and an MTV Music Video Award. As a songwriter, he received the British Academy Ivor Novello Award for Best Song Musically and Lyrically in consecutive years for Killer 1990 and Crazy 1991. I really enjoy this song. Um, there's, There's the connection to the Batman because that's where I heard it first. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of a guy named Seal before that. No. You know, um, and it's just one of those songs that it's it's beautiful in the way it's presented. The guy has a great voice. The uh, the uh, substance of the song is exactly what you're looking for in a love song. However, to be honest, not a mixtape song for me. I'm going to get that out of the way with agreeing with you on that one. It's not really a mixtape song for me either. I love Seal's voice. I mean, he's got a butter voice. He really does. Yep. I remember hearing the song Crazy. I knew it was by him, but I never really went and got his stuff because it's like, eh, this isn't really going to be my style. I like hearing it, but I don't need to hear more. Yeah, it's like, and at the time, it was on the radio constantly. All the damn time, yeah. And then, you know, didn't get into the other music. And then I heard the single off the Batman Forever soundtrack. I liked the movie, so I went and bought the soundtrack, which has some actually really good music on there also with Offspring and Seal and such. And I got pretty much what I wanted. I got all the exposure to Seal that I could really even need. He sings a good love song. I appreciate it, but again, not a mixtape one. I agree. All right, what do you got next? Next we have Have I Told You Lately by Rod Stewart. Sir Roderick David Stewart, because he has been knighted by the OBE or, or as OBE, what order? Yeah, or it's just the, uh, it's basically a musical knighting. Yeah. It, it has, it's the order of, Something entertainers or something. British entertainers. Maybe that's what it is. Write in if you know. Because we're too lazy to look it up. (laughs) Yeah, I have a cell phone, but I ain't using it. Right. Now, he's an English singer and songwriter. He and his family were huge into association football, a.k.a. soccer. Okay. His dad played on an amateur team and wanted Rod to be on the team as well. He tried but wasn't accepted. He mentioned in his autobiography, Well, a musician's life's a lot easier and I can get drunk and make music. I can't do that and play football, so I, so I plump for music. There's only two good, two things I can play well. Or there's only two things I can do, actually. Play football and sing. Oh, we were way off. Or I was way off on what OBE is. I looked it up. 
It's like Order of British Excellence or something? It's the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. Ah. It is a British Order of Chivalry, rewarding contributions to the arts and sciences, work with charitable and welfare organizations, and public service outside the civil service. So there you go. All right. So getting back to Sir Rod Stewart. Yes. He worked a ton of odd jobs before joining the R&B group The Dimensions in 1963 on harmonica and backing vocals. The Dimensions got a full-time singer, tensions arose, and Stewart walked. Shortly afterwards, he was in a musical review called Steam Packed. He did that about as well as the name would imply, and he left that in 1966. 67 is where things started to come together when he joined the Jeff Beck group and got in the public eye. It was the next year that he was signed to a solo contract, releasing his first album, 1969's An Old Raincoat Won't Ever Let You Down, where it peaked at number 31. Imagine going into the record shop being like, hey, can I get a copy of the old raincoat that won't let you down? <laughs> well, A, he's British. Oh, yeah. So maybe it's different. Because it's always fucking raining there. And B, it's 1969. Fair enough. Now, the album peaked at number 31 in Australia, number 139 on the U.S. charts. Stewart continued recording and releasing and finally hit number one in the U.S., Australia, Canada, and the U.K. with his third album, 1971's Every Picture Tells a Story, which has gone platinum. He continued to write, record, and tour and release, putting out albums as recently as 2015's Another Country. Since inception, he's released 30 studio albums that have spawned 146 singles. Wow. All of his albums, but his first two and a middle one, called The Lost Album, have gone at least gold somewhere in the world. Now, Have I Told You Lately is a romantic ballad. Now, let's just go ahead and hear about what he told us lately, and then we'll talk about it. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you? You fill my heart with gladness, take away all. It's, a, again, a romantic ballad that was written by Van Morrison for his 1989 album Aval Avalon Sunset. You know, that fucker pops up everywhere. Van Morrison. Morrison. Him and Otis Redding, remember? Yeah, yeah. So his version peaked at number 12 on the U.S. Billboard Adult Contemporary Chart, while Rod Stewart's version, he did a studio and a live one, were number 33 and number 1, respectively, on that same chart. How much would that suck? My cover version just, like, destroyed the original. That happens more often than you'd think. It does, but it still can't feel great by the original Especially artist. Especially when you're on the same at the same and, time. Exactly, exactly. So Morrison's version was voted number six on the top ten first dance wedding songs uh, list, where they pulled 1,300 UK DJs, and I can totally see that. The song has Stuart singing about how his lady is the one and only, and everything is made better. Ease is sadness; it fills his heart with gladness. For example, it's a solid, solid love ballad. That I think is a great song for your guy or gal, and I absolutely believe this song deserves to be on a playlist. Fair enough. So this is a great song about someone doing what each of us in a solid relationship should not only do, but, but we should often. We and we should want to do it. And that's tell your significant other that you love them. If you don't, then you should start doing that now. Go ahead. We'll wait. Did you do it? Liar. If not, pause the podcast right now and go do it. And call your mother while you're at it. Yeah, tell her you love her too. This song, again, deserves a place on the love mixtape. Absolutely. Agree with you on that 100%. All right. So what do you got next for us? 
All right, so up next I have uh, Crazy by Patsy Cline. So we just talked about a Seal song called Crazy, and now we're actually talking about a song called Crazy. Well, by we Patsy actually Cline. talked about A Kiss from a Rose. You brought up Crazy. Well, so did you, too, though. Well, I did, yeah. So let's let's go on with Patsy Cline's version of Crazy. So I have... that's a special kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, I absolutely love this song. Patsy Cline had a voice that makes me melt. Her control of her powerful voice not only is amazing, it's harmonious perfection. The song itself is about a woman who assumes that her man will leave her when he gets bored. But she's crazy in love with him. This is an early country music love song. Remember that most country songs of that era were about what you would lose. It goes with the old joke, Lou. Do you know what you get when you play a country song backwards? What is it? Like your wife comes back, your dog comes back? Well, you get your truck back, you get your dog back, you get your wife back. So let's see how crazy this really is. Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. On a level to me and batshit. <laughs> so Crazy is a ballad composed by Willie Nelson. It has been recorded by several artists, most notably by Patsy Cline, whose version was a number two country hit in 1962. Partly due to the genre-bending nature of the song, it has been covered by dozens of artists in several genres over the years. Nevertheless, the song remains linked with Klein. Nelson's own version appears on his 1962 debut album, And Then I Wrote. With some help from a friend named Oliver English, Nelson wrote the song in early 1961. At the time, he was a journeyman singer-songwriter who had written several hits for other artists, but had not yet had a significant recording of his own. Nelson originally wrote the song for country singer Billy Walker, who turned it down for the same reason Roy Drewski turned down I Fall to Pieces the previous year. It was a girl song. The song's eventual success helped launch Nelson as a performer as well as a songwriter. Patsy Cline was already a country music superstar, and looking for material to extend a string of hits, she picked it up as a follow-up to her previous big hit, I Fall to Pieces. Crazy, its complex melody suiting Cline's vocal talent, Perfectly, was released in late 1961, immediately became another huge hit for Klein, and widened the crossover audience she had established with her prior hits. It spent 21 weeks on the chart and eventually became one of her signature tunes. Klein's version is number 18 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. This has been featured on numerous TV shows including Moonlighting, Quantum Leap, Sybil, Cold Case, and Fringe. It has also been used in the movies Desert Heart, uh, 1985, Murder One, 1988, The Handmaid's Tale, 1990, Doc Hollywood, 1991, Nell, 1994, Tommy Boy, 1995, Some Mother's Son, 1996, and In and Out, 1997. So it had like a run in the 90s, man. <laughs> but I don't know. I just absolutely love this. Absolutely love Patsy Cline's voice. Little side note on this one, and kind of a creepy one. So, as I was doing this, I pulled up a picture of Patsy Cline. And I said to my wife, I said, who does that look like? And she's like, your aunt. I'm like, yep, it looks just like my Aunt May did when she was a little girl. Hmm. Or a young lady. And I'm like, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? I think we're going to be disagreeing on this one. Of course we are. She's one of the queens of classic sad country music. Now... This meandering tune 
actually, if you look at the lyrics, it's kind of a breakup song. It's more of a lonely love lost than a love song. But I guess that's open to interpretation. It is, because if you look at the lyrics, though, he hasn't left. Uh, I, I guess I saw this more of a breakup slash love lonely song than I did as a love song. Oh, and just as a note, not on a love mix for me. No, no, absolutely not. Um, so my initial thought of sad country music was kind of spot on because, I mean, I Fall to Pieces, another sad country song. This one kind of sounds like a sad country song. I'm not as infatuated with Patsy Cline as you are, uh, probably because I didn't grow up on it. Uh, it's it's okay. Fair enough. Now, help us out there. Write in. Let us know what you think. Is Lou right that it's more of a breakup song? Or do you agree more with me that it's it's maybe a relationship in jeopardy, but the breakup has not happened yet? Okay. So, yeah, maybe we'll get some answers on that one. All right. So, what do you got next? Next, we're going to go with Happy Together by the Turtles. Now, Turtles. Yeah. Turtles. <laughs> that movie was so bad. It was horrible. The Turtles were an American rock band formed in 1965 by Howard Kalin, Matt Volman, Al Nichol, Chuck Portz, Don Murray, and Jim Tucker, and originally were a surf rock band called the Crossfires. After signing to a new label, they changed their style to being a folk rock band and updated their name to the Turtles, T-Y-R-T-L-E-S, because, you know, apparently the Beatles and the Birds made it cool to spell your things wrong. And also, like the Birds, they got their first success with a Bob Dylan cover, which was It Ain't Me, Babe. They released their first studio album, the same title as the Dylan cover, in 1965, where it maxed out at number 98 on the U.S. Top 200. So they broke 50. Yeah. That's cool. Or 50%, I should say. Right, yeah, Top yeah. 50%. They continued on recording and touring while releasing albums. In the meantime, there were a few band member shakeups, but the real issue was the band's growing displeasure with the label and the label's financial issues. The Turtles ended their run together, so not so happy together, in 1970. <laughs> But that wasn't the end for Kalen and Volman, though. They toured as the comedy duo Flo and Eddie and sang a backup on multiple other artist songs such as T-Rex's Get It On, Bang a Gong. T-Rex. Yeah. Now, after getting the rights to use the Turtles back from court in 1983, so it took them, how long was that? Like 20 years to get the fucking rights back? 13, yeah. They toured a while as the Turtles featuring Flo and Eddie with not the original bandmates but rather other musicians. They still continue to tour and perform on and off through 2015. Now, during their career, the Turtles released eight studio albums, which spawned 25 singles. Even with all they've done, they've truly only been known as one for with one song, and that was Happy Together. Let's go ahead and see if you and I are happy together. Truly, that depends on the day. Fair enough. Because you can be an insufferable fucker, and I know I can be too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's but any, I love you, man. But that's any relationship, actually, <laughs> if you think about it. But I love you, man. <laughs> this is this Gary Bonner and Alan Gordon, who also did the songs for Love and Spoonful and Barbara Streisand, song came off of an album with One the, of these things are not like the other. Right. The song knocked Penny Lane out of the number one slot, for the Billboard Hot 100 for three weeks in 1967. I just wanted to throw that out there because it was a jab at the incorrectly spelled Beatles. It's not really a jab. I mean, yeah, but if you lose a spot, I mean, I'm sure they probably got it back right afterwards. But... With a different song, I mean. Right. The song has appeared in many different forms of media, be it movies, music, and commercials throughout the years. 
One of my favorites, and I have a feeling I know which one you're going to, you know which one I'm talking about, was the episode of 70 Show when they did the musical with Roger Daltrey from The Who as the music teacher. Yep. As the stiff-ass Brit musical director. That was like one of the few episodes that featured Fez, too. Oh, yeah. He was like the prime player in that yeah, one. And yeah. the rest of the cast was just kind of in the background. The song is pretty simple and solid. Per the lyrics, it's a guy pining for a girl and how happy they'd be together no matter what. Rough times or smooth times, it's always us. Now, come to find out, though, it's really not a love or friendship song, but rather a song about a non-reciprocated feelings. Gary Bonner confirmed the singer is imagining if, but not actually, is in the relationship. So because that's a huge downer and bummer, I'm going to say screw that. And as me as well as everybody else, I'm going to say it's still a fun love song. So it's romantic love or friendly like love. Either way, it's a relationship. Not on a mixtape especially anymore after finding that out. (laughs) But it's still an entertaining song. So this song about being happy with the one you love. Though I know it's supposed to be a love song, but it kind of feels like a stalker-type song to me. He keeps saying that this is the way it should be, and that he can't see himself loving anyone but you. I don't know. I think perhaps this is one of those scary songs like others we've covered in the past, like The Police and the song Every Breath You Take. Just my two cents. Not a mixtape. You know, it's actually kind of funny about this one, too, is I just remember listening to this, and you got this song, the song, the song, and then all of a sudden... How is the weather? What the hell, dude? Did you run out of rhyming things? Seriously, and I guess per the trying to make small talk, that's how why they threw that in there. But I'm just like, hi, we're happy together. How's the weather? It's like Han Solo at the Death Star. I'm saying, no, we're fine, we're fine. How are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, what do you got next? All right, so up next, I got a song you're absolutely going to love. So it's called I'm Going to Be, the 500-mile song by the Proclaimers. A song about devotion and dedication, he would walk a thousand miles in total to be with the love of his life. Everything he does, he wants to do with that person. Now, he never uses a pronoun to distinguish if it's a girl or a boy. It's probably his brother. (laughs) Would you walk 500 miles to be with me? I would, but I wouldn't post bail. Yes, you would. After walking 500 miles, I'd be tired as shit. I'm not paying for that crap. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> you would post bail. No, you probably wouldn't post bail because Scott and I'd be sitting in jail and you'd be like, you fuckers didn't invite me. Yeah, that would probably irritate me too. <laughs> so I'm going to be 500 miles is a song written and performed by the Scottish duo, The Proclaimers, and first released as a lead single from their 1988 album, Sunshine on Life. The Proclaimers are a Scottish band composed of the identical twin brothers Charlie and Craig Reed. They are best known for their songs, I'm Gonna Be, 500 Miles, Sunshine on Life, and I'm On My Way, and Letter from America. And their singing style with a Scottish accent. The band tours extensively throughout the world. They have released 10 studio albums since 1987, as well as three compilation albums and a DVD. This was a hit in the U.S. after being featured in the movie Benny and June, after the director heard the song being played on his personal stereo by Marianne Watterson. The Proclaimers have no, had no idea it would be featured in the film. Also used in How I Met Your Mother, it's just a great love song in my opinion. Now, I know you're going to disagree with me, 
But I think you'll agree with me on this point. Not a love mix song. I would agree. And I'll agree the sentiment. I'm, I'm going to do my positive and then my negatives. Okay. The sentiment is there. You know, I'll, you know, I would walk, you know, a thousand miles for you. Okay. Great sentiment. It's an excellent sentiment. Which, if you think about it, is probably all the way across, you know, the UK. And I just started running. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Now, this was one of my earworms way back in the earworm episode, whichever one that was, and it wasn't in a good oh, way. Oh, sorry, got to do this. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. But this is not, it's a duplicate in the respect that we, we didn't individually duplicate it, though. I mean, you did it and I did it once, but. But it's what? still a duplicate. Fair enough. Now. I can't stand these, this song or these myopic motherfuckers who infected the airwaves with this song. Wait, wait, wait. Myopic? You're going to get down on them because they wear glasses? Sure. And it just worked well. It's two M words. I have glasses. Well, then you're a myopic motherfucker, too, because you made me listen to this. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> All right. The song was horribly overplayed, partially because of the movie and partially because it was a number one hit, I think. And everybody wanted to hear that Benny and June song or that song with the twins or whatever the case was. And because the Olsen twins didn't sing, thank God, these are the only set of twins we could really listen to. I really have not heard anything else. You said two other songs, I think? Yeah, three actually, and I don't know any of them either. Never heard of them. I'll be fair and maybe check them out if I'm cruising YouTube, but I will not seek them out on purpose. And agreed, not a mixtape, but the sentiment is there. How about that? Fair enough. How about that? Anyway, all right, we're going to finish I'm going to finish my last one out with Grow Old with You sung by Adam Sandler from The Wedding Singer and also from The Broadway Wedding Singer. We already talked about Adam Sandler recently on our comedy novelty episode last week, right? So, I'm going to be focusing more on the movie. Wedding Singer is technically a romantic comedy or rom-com if you want to be shortened about it, set during the height of the 1980s. It stars Adam Sandler as Robbie Hart, the nice guy wedding singer from New Jersey who's engaged to Linda, an awful woman who at the one time he loved him because of she during his rock star days but is bored with who he is now. Through, through a gig, he befriends waitress Julia Sullivan, played by Drew Barrymore, who is engaged to Glenn, a Don Johnson wannabe who works in investments. Junk bonds. <laughs> Do I call it junk waitressing? Anyhow. Now... Robbie and Julia get closer between him playing at the hall where she waitresses and him helping her plan the wedding, and, spoiler alert, they fall in love. Yay, and you got all the words out in English. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so throw in some great side characters like Julia's cousin Holly, played by Christine Taylor, who was actually pretty damn good looking in that movie, and Robbie's best friend pal Sammy, played by Alan Covert, and an absolutely stellar soundtrack filled with some of the best 80s songs out there. Oh, God, yes. And you've got an excellent movie that I would say everyone has to watch at least once. Easy. Now, Grow Old With You was a song written by Adam Sandler and the film's writer, Tim Hurley, and sung by Adam Sandler. It is inspired by one of, the, one of the lines in the movie where Julia mentions that the one she loves is someone she can envision herself growing old with. Let's take a quick listen. Build you a fire if the furnace breaks Oh, it could be so nice Growing old with you Now it's a softly sung acoustic song where Robbie speaks of the romantic things that he wants to do for Julia in their life together. It's completely sappy, but it perfectly conveys the, the feels to the one you love in a short, just under two minutes, 
Oh, um, the feel. Right. Um, it's just under two minutes, but there is a setup by a guest star. So, And if you haven't seen it, you'll probably appreciate the guest star. Oh, you're not going to ruin it? No, I'm not. Come on. What year did the wedding singer come out in? I don't know. You got your phone handy. Look it up. There might be like six people, like maybe Ariel. On the planet? Yeah. Like maybe Ariel hasn't seen it. Well, that's true. Anyways, no. It should be noted that they did make a Broadway version of the wedding singer with Stephen Lynch as Robbie. He nailed it, dude. Seriously. The soundtrack for the Broadway is amazing. They add a couple extra songs in there. 1998, by the way. The really? Okay. If you're not going to ruin it, I won't ruin it. But All right. If you want to give me a hard time by sending a message and saying that I'm an idiot for not ruining it, fine. Whatever. I'll delete those. But um, No, you won't. <laughs> I'll, I'll print them and put them up on the wall. This person thought I was an asshole, but he wrote in. <laughs> so his version of the song has just as much heart as Adam Sandler does, but in my opinion, I think Stephen Lynch actually sung it a little better than Adam Sandler did. Well, I think Stephen Lynch just sings better than Adam Sandler. Well, exactly. So you'd be agreeing with this one. Yes. Now, this one is absolutely mixtape. Absolutely. Because, I mean, there is so much good feeling on this one. And it's just all the things that he was doing for the significant other, which is, it's just, as part of a relationship, you usually do stuff for the other person. Yeah. Not, not always because you're asked, just because it's the thing to do. Right. And this one talks about that, and I think it works. I would agree. So, but I have to be honest because I didn't make the connection right away. My first thought was Adam fucking Sandler singing a love song. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And as I'm sure you've said, this was from The Wedding Singer, which is an awesome movie. It's actually a very sweet song. I'll miss you, kiss you, give you my coat when you're cold, need you, feed you, even let you hold the remote control. You know, back in the day, that was big. It was. I mean, I don't know about your household when you were growing up, but, like, Dad had the remote, period. It we was didn't like... have a remote. My Dad's remote was cracked in one of us on the side of the head and going to say, change the channel. We had one of those little black boxes that had the turn dial on it that, like, made a huge ton of noise whenever yep. you did it. So, like, if you turned too many of them too fast, it sounded like somebody spinning the wheel. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, put this on a mixtape and just don't tell her who sang it. Because to my wife, that would completely kill it. Yeah, I suppose. But, I mean, at the same time, too, listen, well, it's almost like looks of food versus taste of food. You know, if it looks gross, you're not going to try it. But then you do, and you're like, this is friggin' awesome. See, I grew up in a house where nothing looked good. My mother was a hodgepodge cooker. Uh, so everything was cobbler. Yeah, everything was, you know, it was some sort of a, we called it the hot dish or a casserole Casseroles. or whatever you want to call it. Everything was you done You know what, that though? Way. For the record, some of those... Those mixed cobblers or castles or whatever were fucking delicious. Oh, absolutely. And the worst part is, is because it was just random, could never recreate it perfectly the same right. way. Right, absolutely. Like, Son of a bitch, what's the recipe for this? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. God damn it! Yes, I'm but not making that ever. That's how my mother cooked, you I know? That's how a lot of our moms cooked. My mom, my mom did the same thing. My dad did the same thing. Just throw random stuff in a pot. I've been guilty of it. Oh, yeah. Not starting with a recipe and then doctoring it and calling oh, it a yeah. day. Oh, yeah. All right, so what do you got for your last one? All right, so we're going to end this. Now, I want you to remember, I wasn't going to end on this song. I know, I noted. Okay. So She Loves You by the Beatles. I mean, come on. This is the epitome of a love song. I mean, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. The song about a girl who is in love with a guy, but she has a fear that he doesn't love her in return. There isn't much context to this song, and we should probably just listen to it. <laughs>
So She Loves You is a song written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney and recorded by English rock group The Beatles for release as a single in 1963. The single set and surpassed several records in the United Kingdom charts and set a record in the United States as one of the five Beatles songs that held the top five positions in the charts simultaneously on 4 April 1964. It is their best-selling single and best-selling single of the 1960s in the United Kingdom. In November 2004, Rolling Stones ranked She Loves You number 64 on their list of 500 greatest songs of all time. In August 2009, at the end of its Beatles weekend, BBC Radio 2 announced that She Loves You was the Beatles' all-time best-selling single in the UK based on information compiled by the official charts company. Don't you just love the name of stuff in the in the UK? It's just like it's like to the point. This is what we do. Exactly. There's no like specials. Like there's no department that was made for you with a flimsy little name. It's just like, hi, I'm the I'm the wiper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Lennon and McCartney started composing "She Loves You" on 26 June 1963 after a concert at the Majestic Ballroom in Newcastle upon Tyne during their tour with Roy Orbison and Jerry and the Pacemakers. They began writing the song on the tour bus and continued later that night at the hotel in Newcastle, eventually completing it the following day at McCartney's family home in uh, 4th Lynn Road, Liverpool. In 2000, McCartney said the initial idea for the song began with Bobby Rydell's hit, Forget Him, with its call and response pattern, and that, as often happens, you think of one song when you write another. I'd planned on answering... I planned an answering song where a couple of us would sing She Loves You and the other ones would answer Yeah, Yeah. We decided that was a crummy idea, but at least we then had the idea of a song called She Loves You. So we sat in the hotel bedroom for a few hours and wrote it, John and I sitting on twin beds with guitars. Like many early Beatles songs, the title of She Loves You was framed around the use of personal pronouns. But unusually for a love song, the lyrics were not about the narrator's love for someone else. Instead, the narrator functioned as the helpful go-between for estranged lovers. So, they're meddling kids. Yeah, exactly. I, I absolutely love this song. I mean, it's early Beatles, which is not my forte of the Beatles. I prefer the stuff like Sgt. Pepper's and Beyond. This is off what? This isn't off Revolver. No, is... this would have been off of... I don't even know. One of the early ones. Maybe maybe it was actually off of She Loves You. I mean, they, they had a lot of... Um, they also did a lot of singles that never ended up on albums. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of the 60s stuff was like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I absolutely love it. I, I am actually honestly interested. Uh, well, first I'll say this is definitely a mixtape for me. But I'm interested, honestly, in what you think of this song. I, I'm going to tell you exactly what I wrote first. And that was shocking that you'd find a Beatles love song. There was a lot to choose from. Well, I would have picked a different one. But that's just me. Um it's a quick moving song. It's a short song by the Fab Four. It almost sounds surf rock a little bit. Kind of the style. Yeah, kind of. But that was kind of the style of the era. It's a good song. Uh, I wouldn't really put it on one of my mixtapes because that's not really my style of music. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a decent song. Okay. And it's one of their one of their more, more one of their more well known ones. I yeah. Think it probably was on the Beatles ones album. I think. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's worth listening to. Fair enough. All right, man. So we've come to the end of the music. Let's talk. Trivia. Trivia. All right, so let's ask the question one more time, and that's according to the U- Billboard.com in an article written March 2nd of 2016, what song is listed as the number one top love song of all time? The one that I keep coming back to is I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. 
you would be wrong. So I'm going to give you a, a hint. Well, this might not be a hint too much. We did it on our duets episode. Oh, Jesus. Like I said, it might not be much of a hint, but it's one in 13s because I already talked about one and it's not that one. <laughs> so he got a sporting chance. <sighs> I, I don't know. I'll, I'll take the loss. It is Endless Love by Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. Okay, I can see that. And I can buy that because that is a pretty damn good song. <laughs> Absolutely. All, All right. right, so let's uh, let's do announcements, man. Okay, listen up, everybody. Turn up your volumes. Announcement. All right, go to town. So if you want to send us in a letter now about this episode or any of the other episodes we've done, you can do that in a few different ways. First of all, you can email us at music challenge podcast at gmail.com or at eclectic media project at gmail.com or you can find us on social media at poi network on facebook or at musically challenged on facebook either way drop us a line we'll get back to you and now there is another way for them to reach us isn't there lou there is and that would be the twitter the tweeter and we all know that that's what's all about because hell our president won't shut up on it <laughs> But on that note, no, if you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter, and that's at MCPodcast17. If you want to send us a playlist, is seven, uh, 14 songs, 14 different artists, please, and be prepared to provide us the music if we need it. If you want to have a theme, great, but it won't get any bonus points. Um, if you want to give us some love, give us some hate, just give us some constructive criticism, or just tell us how much we're awesome, by all means. Or answer our recent poll out there. So I'm working on a special type of episode right now, and I've got a post out on Facebook and a post out on uh, Twitter. And what I'm asking everybody for is their favorite band and why. And we'll incorporate that into the episode, and we will choose the song from that band. So it's still us choosing the music, sort of. Um, I think it'll be a neat little concept uh, episode when we get around to it. I've got about six six artists already that have been... uh, thrown out there so and people aren't following directions so we gotta (laughs) yeah people are not when i want the band and why you like them and and i can tell you already it's gonna be very wide and varied the type of music we're seeing already i i took it i took a little bit of a, a gander at that and yes there's stuff across the board so it'll be fun though but with that i want to say thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.